0: Well, as a church, I said it last week. I'll probably say it for a couple of weeks, uh, moving into 2023. Something that we want to be, something that we want to be challenged by, uh, is the question: Where are you? Where are you if you're not if you're not here on a Sunday, and if you are here, where are you? Where are you? How are you participating in the life and the expression of the gospel and the people that it makes, the people you see sitting uh, around you here at Freeway? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you in your love and affection of God? Where are you and the work of the Holy Spirit at in your life? Where are you in relationship with your brothers and your sisters? In Christ where are you in relationship with your neighbors the people you work with and live next door to is the is the transformative message of the gospel of Jesus Christ getting exercised in your life is it getting nourished here in your life shaped and challenged and then and then multiplied are you in a small group have you planned a place to serve how are you partnering in the gospel its message and its movement we are hoping and praying that 2023 is a year of vibrant growth, spiritually, relationally and expressively. And what we're saying is that none of that happens without you. 2023 is the year to uh, purposefully, uh, prayerfully find your place as a partner and a partaker, uh, sharing and serving here uh in the outworking of the gospel here at Freeway and the people that it's making. And to help you do that, we are kicking the year off by diving into the letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul around 61-62 AD to the church in Philippi. A letter that rather, kind of, if you think about it ironically, but then if you think about it again powerfully and authoritatively, given that uh, Paul's circumstances, given his circumstances, he's imprisoned, he's chained up for sharing this gospel... And yet a letter that brims with unshakable joy, along with confidence and thanksgiving to God for the grace and the peace and the partnership in that that Paul has with Jesus, that Paul has with the Philippians. And I think if Paul could melt down this letter into five words, I personally think that he would write something like this, no greater joy than Jesus, which is what our series is called. Paul can write those five words because his entire security and purpose of life is grounded in the gospel and the quality of life that it has given him, which he sums up in the opening of his letter to the Romans where he's now imprisoned. He wrote to the church there, Uh, previously he said the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone it has the power to deliver people into eternal life and not just kind of down the road oh good luck if you get there but right now you begin to experience it here and now in this life and it transforms and shapes and, and instructs everything that you do it's what Jesus was speaking about when he was talking about to come to him is to come to life now to eternal life now it's the anchor in a storm it is grace and peace when the floor falls out of your world when suffering and hardship come it is the confidence in the face of uncertainty it is a deep calm joy even when your circumstances make it impossible to be happy it tells you that you are fully known it exposes your wickedness, the, the things that you never wished would be known. And then at the same time, it demonstrates that you are fully loved as, as serves and secures your heart, serves and secures uh, all your anxieties and securities with the grace and the peace that comes from the cross. And this joy, this security, this confidence is from a man who has who has known who is not known only just the the prestige and the privilege of his heritage all that that would normally have afforded him a pretty cruisy ride in life this is from a man who has suffered more than most only five years before he writes this letter to the philippians earlier on he'd written a letter to the corinthians outlining uh the cost of partnering of participating in the gospel the cost on him five times given 39 lashes by the jews in order to stay in their standing in their community three times he's beaten with rods once he's stoned and he's left the dead they actually think he's dead they just chuck him outside the gates of the city there in acts 14 and three times shipwrecked and then a night just drifting around at sea a whole day and night drifting on frequent journeys he says in danger of rivers danger from robbers dangers from my own people dangers from the gentiles dangers in the city dangers in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst often without food in the cold and exposure and not to mention the pastoral load of a bunch of churches It's why when he finished his letter to the Galatians, he said, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And now, as he writes this letter, he is actually in prison again, in chains. And his ministry is confined to a small rented house that the Philippian church is paying for. They've sent the money up for it. And as he's confined there, every six hours, a new soldier from the Praetorian Guard, uh, 9,000 of uh, Caesar's elite troops, a new one is chained to him. This is not the grand tour of the church in Rome that Paul and the believers of Rome had prayed for. Uh, We read about that at the beginning of Romans. He wrote to them. Not the high-profile preacher going from faith community to faith community, just lighting it all up reaping a harvest, imparting spiritual gifts of encouragement as they partner together in the preaching of the gospel. You read about that in Romans 1, 10 to 15. This is the prayer and the hope of Paul and the church when he gets there. All those grand plans now locked up in chains, confined to a little manky old room somewhere in Rome. In fact, for some, this outcome was bringing unwanted PR, an unwanted PR image for the church, and for others an opportunity to advance their own preaching. Paul finds that he is copying criticism uh, uh, from his colleagues. You can imagine, there goes Paul again. He just never knows when to be silent, does he? He's always standing up for Jesus. Should have known if he'd gone to Jerusalem that this would have happened. What good is an evangelist in prison? How is Jesus going to part with him there? It looks like Paul's days are over. It looks like God has kind of taken his hand off Paul's ministry. And this was the news. This was the news that was trending on social media that had found its way down to Philippi, which is why they dispatched Epaphroditus to take aid, to to take money to pay for his imprisonment. And then to bring back news of Paul's condition to them. Is their beloved pastor okay? Is he dead? Has God taken his hand off his mirror? Who are these crazy people throwing shade on Paul? It's to this concern that Paul now moves in his letter as he writes back to the Philippians. And we know history has told us that some of the most profound insights come from Uh, insights into life come from those who are facing death and some of the clearest insights into the nature of what it is to be free comes from those who find themselves in prison paul writes i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard praetorian guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And contrary to the concern of the Philippians, and contrary to the envy and rivalry of some of his contemporaries, uh, that Paul's advers- adversary, that his imprisonment, is a devastating blow. Or perhaps evidence that Paul is out of favour with God, Paul has a completely different uh view, understanding of the unforeseen, uninvited circumstances that he finds himself in. Adversity is not a cause for resignation and defeat. It's just a different path of advance, different opportunities for relying on God and the resources of the Spirit in his life, our lives, for trusting in and exercising the grace and the peace that the gospel has secured in his life in in our lives because paul's deepest joy is not uh, determined by his environment is not you know secured by his personal achievements and accomplishments but rather it comes from seeing the gospel do its work in his life do its work in the lives of others seeing people far from god in, in, in impossible environments for the gospel to get to have their lives encounter that very gospel paul sees this current adversity as not being a downfall and a loss of plan and purpose but rather a means for god to advance the grace and peace in him paul's got to depend on god he's got to depend on the holy spirit while at the same time achieving something that only these particular circumstances uh, could get achieved how else how else could the gospel get into the household of caesar into the very heart of rome into its seat of power in influence you could not dream this plan up every six hours a new member of the imperial guard of the Praetorian guard is chained to paul paul ain't chained to them that's not how he sees it they're chained to him and he's sharing with them As he shares with others around him, Paul can have visitors the story of Jesus who according to Jewish scripture is God's Messiah, the Christ, the promised one who comes and he identifies with humanity across all lines except sin. And in that, the fulfillment of scriptures that he is God in the flesh come to reverse the power of sin and save people from their sin and these two claims they find they're outworking rather scandalously on a roman cross as jesus the god man dies for our sins dies for paul's sins dies for these roman soldiers sins and then is raised to new life vindicating his claims demonstrating fellowship in god a life that he now offers to anyone who by faith agrees that this is what god has done for us through his son jesus day and night in many different ways paul is just sitting there explaining the gospel and how it leads to a life god created us to have deep joy grace and peace from god and that is something that adversity cannot take away it is something that no circumstances can circumvent and we know it worked we know it worked because at the end of his letter paul sends greetings back to the philippians and he says their greetings especially from those in the household of caesar like the gospel got into the the household of caesar and started doing some damage in there the content the effect of this message this gospel are permanently engraved into history permanently engraved into paul's heart and they permanently keep redefining both Jesus is the anchor point of world history and the hope and the confidence and the security of the human heart it's what makes Paul this an unconquerable servant it's why he's so hard to deal with stop sharing the news about Jesus Paul we're gonna make your life a total misery to live is Christ okay then we're gonna kill you well to die is gain what do you do with someone like that but this is how you roll when your deepest joy is something that the world can't take away it's the promise of jesus as he he made a lot of promises but there in john 14 27 my peace i give you not as the world gives do i give to you don't let your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid there is nothing in this world materially that you can't lose COVID shone a spotlight on that and there will be times when we feel like our lives have been placed in metaphoric chains because of our faith in Jesus maybe in a marriage maybe at a workplace maybe at school maybe at university life has its highs and its lows there will be times when we feel chained by our circumstances misunderstood maligned ignored overlooked even spitefully used. Paul rather confidently and selflessly reveals a gospel-shaped mind and heart, one that has encountered the grace and the peace found in Jesus, will not merely see adversity. He will see opportunity. He will see the opportunity only this set of circumstances allowed for, and that is growth and trust in jesus christ growth and trust in jesus in us in our hearts in our lives what is god doing in us in all circumstances and then as as we live into that encouragement and strength in others and perhaps your unconquerable faith your participation in the gospel even through tears and grief and suffering is just the dose of spiritual courage that someone needs in their own adversity it's just the thing that they needed to see that they needed to encounter your seen and shared story of faith in jesus might be just the thing that encourages and comforts someone in their own adversity it's what paul saw happening around him he writes in verse 14 and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak a word without fear only the gospel its work in us and its impact on others flourishes in adversity adversity is never meaningless and pointless it is an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts uh, help us serve us advance the grace and peace in our lives And at the same time do it in others around us the significance of this is found when Paul writes things like all things fade all things kind of burn the only thing that survives the grave the only thing that pushes on from this life to eternity is faith and hope and love seeing adversity as an opportunity to advance the symptoms of the gospel of faith and hope and love means that you are participating in things that survive the grave and Paul brings to light some of his personal adversity some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of loving knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice while paul's approach to and the reasons for his imprisonment has encouraged some and emboldened them there are some of paul's colleagues some of paul's partners fellow christians who see paul's imprisonment and the low reputation, the stigma that's attached to it, as their opportunity to shine, as their opportunity to step into the space that Paul has left vacant. Note that Paul talks of the motive behind their preaching, not the content of their message. They are preaching great sermons, there's nothing wrong with the content. You can be sure that if there was some kind of heresy in what they were saying, Paul would be all over it, he would address it. But what he's addressing is their motive. They do it out of rivalry and envy and selfish ambition. They take advantage of Paul's absence and his his adversity to promote themselves. It is a very raw admission and a window into, into Paul's emotions here. So he's not immune to emotion. Paul says that they do it to afflict him this is this is he's feeling low emotives are self promotion at paul's expense they cast doubt on paul's character and elevate theirs maybe he's not the great apostle we all thought he was why else would god restricting like this you know the kind of not gossip you get it uh, prayer meetings could be that they're envious of paul's towering intellect his far reaching ministry his apostolic authority and they see his presence as an obstacle to their ambitions rather rather than someone to partner with that's what paul's done his whole life is partner with people there is no greater sting than when people <clears throat> who are meant to be friends and allies and partners kick you in the guts take advantage of your adversity out of envy and self-interest and Paul feels it it's a good thing to check your heart for do you take delight when others fall is there a sense of this will make me look good kind of wash through your heart when a colleague or a friend takes a hit It's an evidence that while you might preach the gospel, while you might subscribe to the gospel, your heart doesn't participate in it. It's not secured in it. It actually is finding joy elsewhere. And conversely, it could be a good check of your heart if you are bitter or envious when others achieve, when others get a promotion that you wanted or a spot in ministry that you felt like you deserved or wanted. It's also a sign that rivalry is stealing your joy, not allowing you to participate in com- in the community of people that the, that the gospel makes, stopping you from loving each other and enslaving you to envy. Well, Paul's response is of a heart that is secure and is participating in the promises of gospel. Paul operates out of a joyful self-denial. A joyful self-sacrificing. As long as Jesus is being advanced and people are being loved, he can rejoice even if it is out of rivalry. God is still at work. God is still doing amazing things. And Paul's supreme uh, spirit of optimism, this robust joy, comes from the supreme confidence that God runs all things, not Caesar. That God runs all is at work, not his rivals. He knows that the Philippians partner with him in prayer. He knows that the Holy Spirit is there, his help. A better word is his resources, the available resources of the Holy Spirit. He knows that this testing, this adversity, has already ended in triumph because he has Christ. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as I e as in my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or death. Paul knows that he is going to be soon released from this prison, one way or the other, either by death or by dismissal. So God will deliver him into continued participation in this world or the next because the gospel has already delivered him. It has triumphed over sin and death in his life. And this is the foundation of his confidence. This is the foundation of his joy, what God has already done in him. He's already been delivered. He's already been saved. You can't take that from Paul. Paul's courage, his eager expectation of what comes next comes from the fact that every night he rests his head on the pillow of God's sovereignty. It comes from the fact that he is not alone in this participation. Not alone, but participating with him is the Holy Spirit and the prayers of God's people, the prayers of the Philippians and 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 the question that's pushing through this is, is that us? is that what we put our heads down on a pillow of at night is that our experience that in Christ we have that security and joy this view of life leads to one of Paul's most well-known and dramatic statements that ever comes uh, from his pen for me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which shall I choose I cannot tell I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith, so that in me you may have ample access, cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again." Now verse 26 there right at the end is not Paul making much of himself. He's not saying, oh glory in me. He's actually saying that if I turn up on your doorstep and, 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 we, and we meet again, that is God's powerful work in the world. Your prayers have been answered. Here we are together again. The Christian view of death, of what lies beyond this present world that is, de- that is demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection that's where we see what what the reality lies after death and in this world is given in three words to die gain but this view of death is held in place by the christian view of living to live christ the word is is supplied by the translator to live is christ to die is gain that word is is supplied by the translators just to make it read better paul was much more emphatic he simply said to live christ to die gain everything about life is bound up in jesus who participate whose participation in us is made complete in the world to come just as we participate in jesus death with respect to sin so his life participates in us with respect to eternity it's what baptism symbolizes it's what we'll look at on on the 12th of february That's why Paul writes in Galatians uh, 2, 20 to 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And listen to this. This this is the only time Paul writes about himself. He normally talks in generic terms, but he says, who loved me, who gave himself for me the work of God the story of the cross forgiveness of sin it's not just some generic thing that floats out into the world it's hitting individual hearts God loved you and he loved you and you and he gave himself for you and you and you individuals and Paul knows that and he's encountered that it's important to realize first what Paul's view of life is These words about what awaits Paul in death are not words of a man just kind of sighing and denied, longing for heaven. Oh, if only I could just get there. Ready to leave this earth. Had it with his circumstances in life. No, to live is Christ. That's exciting. It's not unwelcome. It's actually the reason Paul doesn't want to die. It would be the reason to answer prayer. To live would mean to turn up and be with the Philippians again, to continue what he's doing, to get to Spain maybe. There's more to life to enjoy, more things to partner in. Paul is not consigned to dying. Paul is keen to live. Paul wants to continue participating in the joy and the progress of faith of those he partners with. There is much to live for. Convinced of that idea that God has more to do. He is confident he will. To live is Christ. To be known and loved and partnered with Jesus in this world is to really live. Paul's confidence in death is not that he is tired of life and that he knows it will, but rather that he knows that it will bring uh, to him a deeper, more satisfying, and complete experience of what he already has now. Like it just completes and fulfills everything that he has already got partnership and companionship with jesus he has it he doesn't have to die to get it he's not longing for that he's longing for it to be complete but 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 to stay would mean he's still in it but but to die would also bring him into eventually uh you know relationship with the brothers and sisters it has no sin involved in it The very things of this life that made life worth living will be waiting in completion for Paul for Paul you can only say dying is gain if you can say living is Christ if you substitute Paul's words here that to live is Christ with anything else then to die is to lose is to lose whatever you substituted in there it's going to be gone for me to live is fame and die that, that's just gone with the grave for me to live is pleasure is health is career is romantic love whatever it is then to die is to lose that these things will all end with death that's why paul says there are only three things that remain faith hope and love None of these are subjective optimism. All of them are grounded in knowing Christ. Living that goes beyond death is living that is participating in all that Jesus is and does. Dying, therefore, is to make that reality complete. But unless you have joy in living for Jesus, you will have nothing to joy in at death. Death will reveal what your heart delights in, what it makes much of. Only a life lived in participating in Christ Christ transforms death into something to anticipate with joy. To something to say to die is actually gain. Only a life that Christ gives you is a reason for joy and confidence in adversity, in rivalry, in trials and even in death the how of that kind of life is described we looked at it last week in the message last week but paul gives it to us again in verse 19 when he speaks of the prayers of of his partners those around him that's the how and and the partnership the help the resources of the holy spirit To the degree that you participate in a life shared uh, with each other under the Word of God, with the help and the resource of the Spirit of God, is to the degree that you will participate in this kind of unconquerable joy. This is what made Paul so unconquerable. The gospel of Jesus alive and at work in him. Not his greatness, but him seeing it alive in him. Him seeing it alive and active in, in others and the resources of the spirit along with the prayers of god's people that participation that partnership is where joy lies let's pray loving god we want to thank you for this incredible message of of actual real optimism, of confidence that that can secure us uh, when we can't be happy about our circumstances. An immovable, permanent experience of you, of your life in us, of the presence of the Spirit of God securing our souls with faith and hope and love our prayer here at freeway is more and more we would be engaged in that not just individually in isolated spots but together as a people of god as we live out our lives with you and with each other would you warm our hearts with affection for you would you warm our hearts with affection for each other and would you secure this joy in us that we would continue to participate in it and partner in it we pray these things in jesus name amen and i hope monday morning we're going to gather together again and continue to pray for each other that's where we're praying